Hello and welcome to the third episode of Mad Femmes. We are really excited to discuss the second episode of the long-awaited fifth season of Mad Men. I'm Shannon Bowen in Oakland. I'm Brandi Sperry in Seattle. I'm Teresa Schechter in Brooklyn. And I'm Rachel Horowitz, normally in Oakland, but I am dialing in from the future, a.k.a. New York. So we were all sort of stupefied by the lack of Betty in the first episode. Well, here she is in what I like to call Betty Draper puts on a few pounds, an American tragedy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was... I I was about ready to be like, okay, done with the show after the first scene because I just <laughs> is this Frasier? Are we really covering a pregnancy by just having someone be fat all of a sudden? I mean, and then like if you you could make it interesting because obviously Betty has had a lot of depression issues that manifest themselves in a lot of different ways. But the storyline seems to be mostly just saying, isn't it sad that she's let herself go, which is just not something I'm on board with at all. Well, I I think that it's sad. Isn't it sad that she let herself go? Because when I first saw it, I laughed because going that route means going to very extreme makeup, you know, hair and makeup type of situation, which looks fake. It doesn't look real. So immediately you're sort of jarred out of, wondering what Betty gaining weight means. I mean, you guys remember when Peggy was comically large as well with the makeup? Yeah, I just think it's just pointing out that that's the only thing she's got going for her, you know, is her looks. I mean, she's not a very nice person. You can't say that she has a good personality. I I thought it was going to be more of a meditation uh, on, yes, like Betty, maybe the monster, always had her beauty, and now... She doesn't even really have her beauty, maybe. Okay, in the context of 1966, maybe she doesn't have her beauty. I don't know, but I think she's gorgeous. I mean, I'm coming at this with, you know, just this real uh, issue with with casting the woman who gains weight as this great tragic figure. Yes. Totally. It's very annoying. Um, yeah. You know who she looks like, actually? She look, Has anyone ever seen the prototype of Fat Barbie? No. Someone, uh, like, someone designed a Fat Barbie. It was a statement about body image and things like that. And it's Barbie, but she's gained, you know, 50 pounds. Betty used to look like Barbie, and now she looks like Fat Barbie. I'm going to post it on the blog. You can all see what Fat Barbie looks like. But she's she's a gorgeous woman. But I know that's not the point of this. But the other thing with, with Betty is I thought she was actually going to get a storyline. Like, I don't, I, I thought it would be interesting if she did get sick and if mm-hmm. she did deal with illness and if her children who, especially Sally, who hates her has to deal with not having a mom and, you know, thinking about what that would be like. I just can't believe they started and finished this storyline in one episode. I agree. The whole get cancer to realize how precious life and your loved ones are storyline. What? We've seen that before on like growing pains and wonder years and stuff like that. (laughs) Don't expect that on Mad Men. I was really interested to see that if she died, that Don would have to take the kids. And I think he likes being a dad, you know, 5% of the time. So to see him with his new wife have to take on these three children 
I thought would be very interesting twist. He seemed very skeptical when that sort of comes up in the episode. He kind of looks at Megan like, yeah, right. Sure. I doubt you can be a very good mom. You're like 20 something. Yeah. I do think it's all a setup for her to get hooked on diet pills, which I'm pretty excited about seeing her, you know, yeah. 4 a.m. scrubbing the kitchen. Yeah, I thought she was going to become drug addicted, drug addled Betty, you know. I think that's where her character is going for sure. Jeez, what did you guys think about her house? Oh, uh, it's horrible. What? Where is that? What kind of house is that? Depressionville. But it is like a big, unwieldy, dark, haunted house thing. It's so depressing and suffocating just looking at it on a screen. I can't imagine living there. It's such, I love the contrast. I love the contrast of Dawn and Megan's swanky, very light apartment and then this dark mausoleum of the past. Yeah, and she's going to sit in her mausoleum and she's going to eat bugles which apparently is infinitely more tragic than having nothing but wine and cigarettes for all of your meals because it might make you put on a few pounds. Mm. And then they have the ending image of her having a Sunday, like it's just like the most uh, deep moment of her losing self-control. And I'm like, just let her eat her Sunday. <laughs> She's been on a diet for 25 years. <laughs> the woman finished someone else's Sunday, you guys. <laughs> it's over for her. It's over. Call CNN right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have a, I just have a lot of problems with framing this as as Betty's biggest problem. <laughs> well, Henry, I think, speaks for the audience when he's like, you're beautiful. I love you. Snap out of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which her response was, your mother is obese. Oh, Betty. Yeah. You just always have a little sugar on your tongue, don't you? Well, I... I hate when Betty tells her friend, her friend who legitimately has been battling cancer for a long time, and she's like, well, I got the cancer that makes you fat, apparently. Like, you don't even know you have cancer, first of all. And second of all, how can you say that? It's lines like that that just make me, oh, I hate Betty so much. Like, unfair, fat tragedy aside, she's still not very sympathetic to me. Not at all. She's not sympathetic. and She's always been hard to root for. I do feel like there was a few moments that were such great Betty moments. The first one being when she's talking to Don and he's like, you know, and the kids. And she's like, oh, yeah, the kids. I love that she just like, she's such a Scarlett O'Hara that she hates having children, you know? And she's like, oh, fuck, I have these kids. I'm just thinking about myself. <laughs> it was a waste because really they don't even have to kill her off to make the kids go live with Don and Megan for a while, you know? She could have just been sick for a while, and, you know, we could have had all sorts of interesting things happen. And, no, now we just get Betty. I do hope she gets addicted to diet pills, and it's like a Jackie Collins kind of a situation. <laughs> that would be well, that's what, I was, that's what I was saying earlier, because I think for whether it's now or back then, I think she's not meeting society's standards of beauty. And she's a woman who's been able to coast by because she has. And so I thought what they were doing was something interesting where, you know, she she's empty on the inside. She's not very interesting on the inside. She hasn't been a good person and um, making her lose even like, quote unquote, her beauty, according to the outside world, and especially, you know, folks on Madison Avenue, like Dawn. 
what, who are you then? I thought, I thought that's where they were going. This brings up an interesting question for me about Henry. And I always thought that Henry married Betty because she was this young, gorgeous, you know, woman. And uh, I couldn't figure out what else he could possibly see in her. And now that she's quote unquote, you know, fat and not so gorgeous, he still loves the shit out of her, you know? And, and while I think that that's great that Henry loves her so much, it makes me even more confused about what, what it is that he saw in her in the first place. Well, maybe he has a savior complex mm, and he maybe. just loves to save somebody and she's a perfect, beautiful victim. Yeah. And I think he might've found the sort of ready-made family appealing, you mm -hmm. know, he was quite a bit older than her and had sort of, you know, missed the window where most people had a family. Well, he has a daughter. I am really happy that I'm happy that Henry's mom is back. She's just a little, she's going to bring some spice to those scenes. So I'm excited. She's back. Mm -hmm. Cause she doesn't take Betty's shit. So that's nice to see. I did love, I did love the failed mommy daughter time of the ice cream Sunday <laughs> before the sad eating it by herself of how Sally doesn't want to eat ice cream with her mom at all. It's like so awesome. I want a super cut, super cut of all the times the kids have asked, can I go watch TV? Someone yeah. <laughs> that is a great YouTube video right there. Can I go watch TV? Can I go watch TV? When they always say, can I go watch TV? I always think that's a, this is like our parents' generation, you know? Well, I hate to break this to you guys, but it's kind of my generation. No. <laughs> oh, you're not. You're not that old, Therese. I'm like at least as old as Jean. I'm, a, I'm actually, I'm a little older than Jean. I just imagined you as a baby and it was kind of weird. <laughs> oh, little Therese baby. Yeah. Your parents didn't put you in a high chair either. They just perched you precariously on a stool and hoped for the best. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we had a high chair, actually. I'm not sure. But I did watch a hell of a lot of TV, I got to tell you. It was completely unmonitored, unsupervised, uh, vast quantities of TV watching. I knew the TV Guide by heart. I watched so much TV. <laughs> Children of the 80s watched a lot of TV, too. I used to try to recap ALF for my mom every night, and she'd be like, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares what happened on ALF tonight, little Brandy. <laughs> if it makes you feel any better, I used to watch so much ice skating in high school <laughs> that I used to know what time what routine they were doing based on what costume they were wearing. My parents were a little concerned. They were like, A, you don't even know how to ice skate. B, I think you're watching too much of this. We all have our thing. Yeah. Totally. But Oh, the Betty thing actually ushered in another storyline, which is Megan hating Betty. Oh, who, who wouldn't? You know, I mean, the ex-wife, she's just, you know. And she's got these kids. It's territory. That was one of the best exchanges of the episode, though, when Dawn's like, oh, you're such an optimist. And she goes, she just needs something to call you about. <laughs> Megan never thought she might have cancer in the first place. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I, this episode made me, made me like Megan more. I mean, I think she... Me too. I me think too. she gets Dawn. I mean, I love when she puts him in her in his place of like, oh, you went to a concert last night and now it's just too much? Like, get up and go visit my friends. This world does not revolve around you. I love that. 
Yeah. I think so. This brings me to a lot of people, you guys, after our last podcast approached me in the halls via instant message, emails. <laughs> and well, people like people like Megan. People defend Megan. I don't think she's as loathed as this as this group thought she was. I think she's maybe um more of a lightning rod than we thought. You either love her or maybe you hate her. But she definitely is sassy. I love the opening scene where she's, I, I interpreted it as her struggling to be just the wife in that situation at a work dinner, but wanting to talk shop it as well. Like she didn't seem, but when the other woman's like, I'm so bored with this work talk, uh, Megan doesn't seem bored at all to me. I, I enjoyed that struggle as well. You know, is she going to be a Peggy or is she going to be a Betty? I mean, that you know, not to simplify it too much, but it was interesting seeing her struggle with the two sides of her personality. And it'll be interesting to see which one wins. I think she represents, I mean, they keep doing it with her wardrobe and with everything else. She's going to either drag Dawn, who's who's a total square into the future, or the generational divide between the two is going to become more pronounced. Yeah. He's so square, he has corners. That was such a good line. Oh my God, he is so square. I couldn't stand him backstage at the Stones concert in his suit with the stoners. He's like dad. He's seriously dad all of a sudden. So lame. I mean, he just, him and Sterling are becoming these relics of the past. I mean, there was just this really big theme being stated in this episode of Dawn and Sterling don't, they're afraid of this new world. They don't fit in. They're rolling their eyes at it. You know, when Sterling says, when is it going to get back to normal again? Oh, totally thought of Lord Grantham. P.S. Bringing <laughs> the two shows together. Uh-huh. Sterling is the new Lord Grantham. I'm laying it down right here. You know what I did like, though? Actually, I know a lot of people didn't. A lot of people thought this was Don being a square, but I thought it was really interesting the way he was asking that young woman all those questions. Like yeah. he's the ad man till the end, you know, he wants to know what makes her tick so totally. he can sell shit to her. Right. So yeah. it was very interesting that he was very systematically just, you know, she was a focus group of one mm-hmm. uh, for her generation. Totally. Cause they've been struggling with the Heinz account. Yeah. <laughs> all the Heinz client wants, all he says, he's like, I want the kids right. to love my beans and my ketchup. <laughs> And Don's like, I have no idea what the kids want, much less how to make them want beans. <laughs> what if you just ask that directly? How do you feel about beans? <laughs> yeah. Like, when you're stoned, do you crave beans? He just goes around being like, some beans sound good right now. Anyone else go for some beans? <laughs> hey, everyone. I, they need a commercial that's like, burn one down and then eat less beans. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why does smoking pot and eating like cans and cans of beans make me laugh so much? I don't know. <laughs> oh my god, or just putting ketchup on everything. I, I mean, that could happen easily. You know, mm. you get stoned and you're like, everything tastes better with ketchup. But this is, that's what this Heinz guy doesn't want. He's he's worried about the ketchup taking over the market. <laughs> so. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> 
You know what the best line at the Stones concert was, though, when they said they were in advertising and those girls said, like, bewitched? Oh, yeah. oh, oh so my god, so good. <laughs> all of a sudden, all the glamour is sucked away. <laughs> and then Harry was so creepy. Oh, Harry's always creepy. What is it with Harry? Has Harry was he always has he always been this much of a creeper? No. I thought he used to be funny. Yeah. Been a slow creep for him. Yeah, it's like it's Ken Gosgrove. Ken Gos. Ken Gros. Oh my god. <laughs> Ken Cosgrove. It's a, it's a tongue twister. Yeah. <laughs> got nicer, and then Harry Crane got creepier. Yeah. Yeah. They switched places. Wait, because Harry Crane has a baby, right? We were yeah. trying to remember if he had a baby or not. Oh yeah. He's yeah. also a cheater. He's a cheater. Mm. Um, I but that moment in the car where he will not get out of the car. I mean, raise your hand if you've been there with a stoned friend. <laughs> Get out, I'm going home. <laughs> you're like, you're lingering. I need you to get out. Put the yeah. cheeseburger down and get the hell out. Yeah, I really enjoyed Don being like, you got 20 sliders. I thought they were for your family. And Harry just is like, eat before you get home, Don. <laughs> like, he's had, like, the worst life in the world. He's just, he watches yeah. too much TV, I think. His entire job is watching people on TV who and seem name dropping. more happy than, than he is. I just love characters that try so hard to be cool and will never be cool. When he's like, Charlton Heston, Vaporama, ha, 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 And they're just like, whoa, you're really late. <laughs> like, who's Charlton Heston? Oh, my gosh. He keeps digging the grave. He's like, no, he's handsome. No, it's cool. No, he's a really handsome guy. They're like, whatever. <laughs> like they said they don't know who he is yeah let it go so don't hire him to sell beans to the kids yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can get him to sell those those little delicious little cheeseburgers which that whole scene reminded me of uh in never been kissed when she's stoned and she eats the whole pie and she's like who ate my entire pie <laughs> i was thinking like harold and kumar but it's a, kind of a stretch. Anything White Castle makes me just be like, Harold and Kumar is the best movie ever, guys. Harry and Don movie. go to White Castle. I think I think this um, segment has turned into our most stoner conversation we've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about the other old loser, Sterling. Super yeah, old loser. Yeah. <laughs> that, old, that old guy, Sterling, really losing his edge there with Pete Campbell hot on his heels he is very devious in this episode he yeah. uses the only thing roger's still good for which is three martini lunches and mm-hmm. reels in this account and then has this quote-unquote impromptu type champagne toast in his office i mean it's just it it is twisting the knife like <laughs> i saw something on salon that was speculating that all of these signs are pointing to Pete being shoved out a window by the end of the season, (laughs) including Roger being like, I'd really like to throw something out this window. (laughs) So I'm wondering if that might be where we're actually going. I didn't even catch that he wanted to throw Pete out the window, but of course that makes perfect sense. (laughs) I'm telling you that like manslaughter is where this storyline is going right now. (laughs) 
I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised by Pete's actions. I mean, from season one, we know he's selfish, self-righteous, and devious. But I guess it's kind of sad because we've nursed this soft spot for Sterling over these years. But, I mean, he's one step away from being that guy that I forget his name that pissed his pants in the office. Freddie Rumson. Yeah. He, I mean, he's just drinking all the time. He has no purpose in his life. He's turning into Lord Grantham. He's just going to be sad at lunch by himself, drinking three martinis. That's where it's going. Pushing Pete out of windows. Maybe he'll be better after Joan comes back and she can, like, give him a look when he starts to get like that. That's true. Him and his conversation at the end with Don is so depressing, and they're so they're little drama queens, the two of them. He's like, I'm sick of everyone treating me like I don't add value to this place. And Dawn's like, well, Betty has cancer, maybe. But she might be dying. We don't know, but totally. Like, they're having this sad conversation, and they just both sound so lame and overly dramatic. Like, if you feel like you're not adding value to the organization, add value. Like, suck it up. And then Betty's not even dying. You don't even know for sure. Just calm down. They're such like lamos in that scene to me i got really annoyed with both of them yeah cry me a river it's so hard being a white man in this time in history (laughs) yeah you poor thing oh so i have a question for you guys which um i think this is related so so um peggy finds this very talented copywriter who turns out to be a jew a dude who's a Jew. And a Jew-y Robin, Jew-Jew. A, a very Woody Allen. I, one might call him nebbish. Yeah. Um, and Roger, you know, has a line about how every agency has a Jew and, like, we are due to have one anyways. But I was thinking about this, and I read a little bit about this online today. And being Jewish in New York in the ad industry at this time was not a big deal. It's a little weird. I, I've read that this it's not very accurate. Like for someone like Roger Sterling to be that sort of flippant and a, with his anti-Semitism, you know, isn't exactly accurate of the time. Like Jews were literally running agencies in the mid fifties in New York. Well, there was a there were the Jewish agencies and then the you know WASPy agencies. Yeah, so a Jew working at a non-Jewish agency might have been kind of a thing but but it seems like jews were you know from alan ginsburg to whatever jews were like a part of the culture i mean i'm sure behind closed doors people still said certain things but i don't know that rang a little everything everyone's a racist and an anti-semist and a misogynist at this firm you know Mm, yeah well a lot of them are so yeah I think the um, only thing we're against is I know Brandy's against another plaid jacket being hired. Um. (laughs) I'm very against the plaid jackets. I'm also against the amount of time that we spent hiring this guy when it was so obvious he was going to get hired. Like, why bother? Why not just have him working there when the season starts? This is the kind of stuff that can happen off stage, everybody, you know. And I am looking forward to seeing what will happen between this guy, Michael, and Peggy, because I think there was, you know, some fairly obvious foreshadowing that they'll be in competition with each other, which I think is great because Peggy hasn't really had someone in her same job who is as talented as her the whole time. So seeing her actually have to push herself might be interesting. 
uh, I just wish that we were already there because, you know, two, we're in three, uh, three hours into the season and I still am feeling like I don't know where any of these storylines are going. Well, I thought it was foreshadowing maybe. I mean, I, I probably read way too much into this, but I can totally see a future Olsen Ginsberg. Is that his last name? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because I love seeing her through the search process to hire someone. I love that she could spot talent and she had clarity to not necessarily um, dismiss him because she saw him as a threat, his portfolio right off the bat. I thought that foreshadowed a, a Peggy 10, 15 years from now who has her own agency and is spotting the best talented and reeling them in. Is that too nuts? Oh, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that what we've seen with the last season with her being drawn to these, you know, countercultures is that she is drawn to creativity in its purest form and, you know, with her new boyfriend and everything. So I think that that was a nice thing. I'm just frustrated with how bitter and helpless she is so far this season. I, It's just she grew so much in season four and I don't know what they're doing with her storyline this season and I'm frustrated. I also don't know what they're doing with her wardrobe. She is still wearing those <laughs> leftover Catholic schoolgirl outfits. Yeah, it's amazing to make a Catholic schoolgirl outfit not sexy. That's a quite a feat. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. I looked up Tom and Lorenzo on this matter because I thought they might have something to say about it from last week, but they just call it like like professional, like almost like menswear. Like, wow. This is not like menswear. This is like what she wore at the Sisters of the Holy Cross school when she was eight. Yeah. Well, I sometimes wear my Girl Scout uniform to work because that's also <laughs> professional for my past. I was a prof- I was a professional Girl Scout. So. Okay. This this Michael Ginsburg uh, is not my favorite character. I have to be honest. I found him incredibly obnoxious, and uh, I hope that. He becomes more interesting. But what really killed it for me was when he went home and um, his very heavily accented Jewish father was yelling all sorts of very heavily accented things from the other room uh, as Berg is unpacking his farmer's cheese for crying out loud. Treats, I swear they were going to start playing like Fiddler on the Roof in the background. Like, yeah. Well, you guys, I was really confused. Like, I, I didn't know he was Jewish until they laid on all these Jewish stereotypes. I was a little confused, you know. Yeah. So it really helped. It really helped me as a non-Jew to understand. Yeah. That he I was think Jewish. They made that pretty clear. I also was confused that if Don liked his party or not last time. So Mad Men's been really good <laughs> about helping me really just understand what's going on. When his yeah. dad is like, "You got the job, Baruch Adonai." <laughs> I was like, what's happening right now? I'm so confused. How Jewish yeah, things What are. show is this? Yeah. Do you think they're just going to offend every group just to show what Don and Sterling think or something? I mean, I just, you know, because then we've got Don number two, the new black secretary, who's basically a houseplant. She doesn't say anything, you know? Yeah. Like, what is going on with all these stereotypes? It's so weird. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I contend that people knew enough. I thought, I think Jews, people knew enough to at least like 
be a little bit more polite. You know what I mean? I agree. Maybe I'm being naive. Therese, you were there. Tell us. (laughs) (laughs) When you were perched on that stool (laughs) and your mom was smoking, (laughs) did you hear anybody ask? I don't understand what a Jew is. Well, no, not in our neighborhood. (laughs) All right. This show is ridiculous. Did you guys play Fiddler on the Roof in the back? You know what this is like? (laughs) Have you guys seen Annie Hall? Have you you seen Annie Hall? So, you know, in Annie Hall, when he goes home with Annie to have dinner with her parents, and he's fantasizing that Annie's anti-Semitic grandmother is looking at him, and he he looks like a Hasidic Jew? Yeah. So, I... (laughs) I feel like this is what this is like. Like, because Michael Ginsburg is Jewish, he has to be placed in the most possible Jewy uh, environment. Totally. Because he's such a big Jew. What a Jew, that guy. I kind of imagine him and Peggy having some hate sex later on. Like, they're competing, and then they have, like, hate sex. Peggy loves her hate sex. Yeah. Am I the only one that thought that? I was just like, oh, hate sex. This is coming in later in the season. <laughs> uh, yeah, right after he has them get drunk on Manischewitz wine, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I'm excited for next episode because I saw more Sally's going to be in next episode. So that was exciting. I'm yeah. a little confused about this Peggy Sterling thing they're setting up. That seems very... It feels very uh, Anne and Tom on Parks and Rec. You know, we don't know what to do, so we'll just put these two characters together, even though it doesn't make any sense. Well, also, does Peggy get thrown at every aging, over-the-hill, loser-alcoholic ad man? Totally. She deserves a hot, young, beat poet. Which Abe. She... Abe. Yeah. Well, I think that's it for this podcast of Mad Femmes. That was a lot of feminist issues to discuss. Well, and racist issues to discuss. In and anti-Semitic <laughs> issues. Okay, yeah. we've, got, we've got a lot of issues. All of them. You have, yeah. a lot, you have a lot of music intros to choose from. You can do Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can do Time is on my side. But I think you should start with me, 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 me. <laughs> we also had Jewishmen. Yeah, and then have it transition into the theme song from Bewitched. That would be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you guys, we also had Overeaters ism. I mean, there was a lot of isms in this. Oh my gosh. For the record, the Mad Femmes support all eating of bugles and ice cream sundaes, no matter what the context. Girl, girl, Agreed. no shame in that. Yeah. You shake those bugles on top of that ice cream sundae and you go to town. It's all good. Yeah. I think I think we're officially anti I just have to say one more thing. I think we are definitely officially anti prosthetic fat suits. Like yes. was that a fat suit? Of course. I just thought it was her pregnancy weight. I no. think that was it didn't look part, situated I right. I mean it definitely I mean like the I think it was on Slate that called it Big Mama Betty's house. I mean, it kind of looked like yeah. a man in a fat suit trying to be a woman. It didn't look right. 
that's not how women gain weight, first of all. You know, yeah. Betty's so beautiful. She's very tall. If anything, if Betty were to gain, and she's a modern-day actress, I'm sorry, but if she, she could gain 40 to 50 pounds, and I think she'd look like Marilyn, you know? Yeah. She'd mm-hmm. still be cur- curvy and beautiful. <laughs> she wouldn't look like Eddie Murphy in a fat suit. Like, it looks ridiculous. <laughs> Well, on that note, check us out. <laughs> kind of a tangent. Yeah. Uh, we weren't done ranting yet. So uh, check us out at madfems.tumblr.com. We always have a lot of fun things we post on there. Uh, Madfems at Facebook and Madfems at Twitter. And we will see you next week. And there's also, <laughs> I'll just uh, announce everybody. I'll just announce everybody. I'm <laughs> Shannon in Oakland, and we have Rachel with us, who's usually in Oakland, but she's in New York right now. We have Therese Schechter, also in New York, and we have Brandy Sperry in Washington. So let's get started. The Washington of Twilight, not of <laughs> yeah. And I'm in Brooklyn, not in New York. Just oh God! I just messed I up all, all the introductions. Start all over. And I'm in the future. I'm in the future. <laughs>